we're in the midst of our physical one things um, focus, and uh, we are finishing up our physical one things focus in today's message. Actually, this is the last of nine messages on a su- on the subject of our physical one thing, and um, we're in a series this month called Materials for the Building, Materials for the Building, and we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah, and what we determined is that Nehemiah, when he built, when he rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem, he had the entire wall of Jerusalem built at the same time. He broke people up into groups, and he put one group on one section, and another group on another section, and another group on another section, and the entire wall was built at the same time. And the reason they were able to build at the same time is because they were all using the same materials. Now, we said two weeks ago that God wants to build every area of your life at the same time. We can focus on one thing, but while we're focusing on one thing, God is building many things. And that's why the tagline of our One Things per, uh, process is, is simple decisions that are of central significance. Simple decisions that are of central significance. And we want to identify the materials for the building. If we identify the right materials for the building, then we are able to enable God to build multiple areas of our lives at the same time. Now, in this series, we have identified the three primary materials for the building, and we've said that these primary materials are the materials that God would use to build every area of our life. And those materials are, first, the Word of God, second, the worship of the Lord, and third, the fellowship of the saints. First, the Word of God, second, the worship of the Lord, and third, the fellowship of of the saints. And if we want to understand these three components in a different way, we might see them as the irreducible core of the Christian faith. You see, the irreducible core of the Christian faith begins with the Word of God. And the Word of God teaches us the primary central truth that we are taught in the Word of God is that God so loved the world that He gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's eternal saving, redeeming love is the core of the Christian faith. It's the core. If you want to sum up the word of God, if you want to sum up scripture, the central message is God so loved the world. The great German theologian, well, he wasn't, well, uh, 20th century theologian, Karl Barth, he was German actually. That great theologian who wrote 10 volumes, a 10 volume series on systematic theology called Church Dogmatics, And, I mean, he wrote thousands and thousands of pages. He was one of the most prolific theologians of the 20th century. But they asked him one time, they said, what is the greatest Christian truth? What is the greatest theological truth, the highest theological truth? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You can't get any deeper than that. I don't care how many PhDs you get. It doesn't get any deeper than that. The central truth is that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And so the Word of God teaches us that God so loved the world. Secondly, the Word of God teaches us how we are to respond to the love of God. And when we're talking about man's response to God's revelation, we're talking about, first and foremost, the law. When God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai, what he was teaching Moses and the people of Israel is, this is how you respond to what I've done for you. He didn't meet them in Egypt and say, you want to be free from this bondage? Here, follow these laws. No, he delivered them from Egypt by his own power and then said, now that you're free, now that you're delivered, now that I've made you clean, now that I've brought you out of bondage, this is how you're to live with me. And then he gave them the law. Now, in Matthew 22, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of the law? 
It was an age-old question that rabbis had been arguing over for centuries. What is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus responds, it's very simple. Deuteronomy 6, 4. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You shall love the Lord your God. So the Bible, the the biblical truth, the, the, the word of God, the central truth of the word of God is that God loves us. But then our human response to that word of God is called worship, and worship starts with love the Lord your God. The central truth of the gospel is that God loves you, and your central response of worship is I love God. So it's God loving you and you loving God, moving from word to worship. When you begin to love God, now you're moving into worship. But Jesus didn't stop there. They only asked him what the greatest commandment of the law was, one. And he could have just said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, period. But he said, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the moment you move from loving God to loving your neighbor, you're moving from worship to fellowship. Now, it's easy for us in the body of Christ to embrace the first truth of the word of God. God loves us. It's almost become cliche. God loves you. Smile. God loves you. We tell everybody, oh, God loves you. What's the first thing you say if somebody says they want to end it all? They want to end their life. No, don't do that. God loves you. It's, it, that's just such a simple truth. Even unbelievers believe that. Even non-Christians say God loves everybody. God so loved the world. Everybody knows John 3.16. Uh, but but it, 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 it gets a little narrower when we get to the second one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. When it comes to worship, there's far fewer worshipers than there are believers in the simple promise that God loves you. But it gets even fewer when, when you get to the third command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because it's so popular in contemporary Christianity to embrace the first two but reject the third. Because I just want to receive the gospel, believe Jesus for my salvation, sing a few worship songs and get out of here. I ain't got no time for this fellowship thing. I ain't got time to be committed to the body of Christ. Ain't nobody got time for that because, you know, we got jobs and families and all. And that stuff's important. But fellowshipping with the body of Christ, that's not important. But Jesus said the second one is like it. I can't give you the first one without giving you the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And now we're talking about fellowship. Now, specifically, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, and I want to turn your attention to the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 10. But what's happening in chapter 8 of Nehemiah is they've completed the building of the wall. The wall is done. And now they call a sacred assembly, and they call the sacred assembly, and we talked about this last week, they build a wooden platform for Ezra the priest. They call for him to bring out the book of the law. Ezra, Ezra comes out with the book of the law. He ascends the steps of the platform, stands at the podium, and opens the law. And when he opens up the book of the law, the entire multitude stands with him. And he begins early in the morning, and he begins to read from the book of the law. And as he reads, it says, the people were attentively listening to every word he was saying. And the priests were scattered throughout the assembly so that they were relaying the words of Nehemiah so that all the way back, however many hundreds of thousands of people were there, could hear the words of Ezra as he was reading from the book of the law. And he read until midday. But at midday, something happened. Ezra And Nehemiah and the rest of the priests, they saw that the people were weeping. First, they just heard a little, (laughs) you know, when you hear when when folks are just weeping a little, (laughs) you know, and then they looked and they saw a few tears coming down some faces. And then it went to full on wailing. I mean, the entire multitude was wailing. 
and weeping and crying and boo-hooing and bawling. You know why they were weeping and crying? Because they were listening to the words of the book of the law and they were being confronted by the fact that their lives did not measure up to it. And they were hearing the words of the law. And remember what the law says. Remember what God said. He said, if you obey my commands, then you'll be my treasured people. He says, if you obey my commands and do what I say, then you'll be blessed in the city and you'll be blessed in the field. You'll be blessed when you come in. You'll be blessed when you go out. I'll bless your, your watering pot. I'll, I'll bless your crops and I'll bless, you'll be blessed. But he said, but if you don't do my command, if you don't do what I command, you'll be cursed in the city. And cur- See, we don't quote that one. Some of y'all sitting there, he said that? Really? I only heard the first part. Yeah, we only hear the first part. We don't read the second part in church. And when they heard God's promise that he would drive them out of the land if they disobeyed his commands, you know what dawned on them? These people had just come back from captivity in Babylon. Their city had been destroyed, and suddenly they're hearing the words of the book of the law, and number one, they're saying, we haven't heard this in decades. Nobody had cracked their Bible in decades. And secondly, they're thinking, This is our fault. This whole thing that went bad is our fault. Have you ever messed up so bad and then looked back on it and said, it's my fault? Have you ever messed up something in your life and then had to, and you were confronted finally at the end with the fact that you can't blame anybody else but yourself? Nobody messed you up. You messed yourself up. You shot yourself in the foot. You were your own worst enemy. You ever came to that point where you wept tears because you realized it's my fault. I did it to myself. I can't blame anybody. I can't, I can't put fault on anybody but myself. That's where the people were. It's our fault. We did it. It's our fault. God was just in what he did to us. He fulfilled his promise by what he did to us. And they're weeping and they're wailing and they're mourning. And what happens next might surprise you. And I've never seen a pastor do this. I've never seen folks crying and repenting and and running to the altar and falling on their faces. And the pastor says, stop. Stop crying. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 9. Nehemiah says, stop crying. Don't weep. Don't mourn. Stop. Don't weep. Stop all your crying. Stop. And then he gets to verse 10 and he says this. Listen. And I'm I'm quoting this from the, the NKJV, the New King James Version, because it's more literal here. He says, go your way, listen, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing has been prepared. Do not sorrow or mourn, for this is a holy day unto the Lord, and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Hold on a second. Did you hear that? Stop crying and go eat the fat. And drink the sweet and share some with those who have none. And the joy of the Lord will be your strength. If you do what I'm saying, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Here's what you got to do. I know you're crying because you're repenting and you realize it's all your fault. But stop crying. Go eat the fat and drink the sweet. Can you imagine that happening on Sunday morning at Living Hope Christian Center? I preach a powerful message. Everyone hears it, and they're broken. Everyone is weeping and wailing and falling on their face at the altar and repenting before God. Stop. Stop. Listen. Listen. Don't mourn. Don't don't wail. Everybody, go to McDonald's. 
buy a couple of Big Macs, couple 20-piece nuggets, and some chocolate shakes. Baptize the whole thing in barbecue sauce or sweet and sour, the sauce of your choice. And then go find someone who doesn't have any and share some with them. And the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Doesn't it, doesn't it make you feel better to eat some fattening food? I mean, that's what he literally said. He said, eat the fat. I know the NIV interpreted it real well. said, go enjoy some choice food. Enjoy choice food and drink sweet drink. It says, eat the fat. He said, go get you some fattening food. Go get you the, the most fattening meal you can possibly find and drink some sugary drink. That's what it says. Drink the sweet. Go get you a sugar. Go get you some soda. Go get you some tapioca milk tea. Go on over to the purple cow. <laughs> he said, eat the fat. He must have known my grandmother. Because my grandmother would make a big old pot of greens and we would partake and then she would put the remainder of it in the fridge and the next morning you open up and pull out that pot and open it up and it's not just green, it's white and green. Because see, my grandmother knew how to eat the fat. Uh, uh, Can I get a witness? Uh, uh, See, we knew how to eat the fat. Uh, We ate the fat. Uh, Every time she pulled them biscuits out, uh, we ate the fat. Uh, Every time she made cornbread, uh, we ate the fat. Now, is it just me or does this seem to be antithetical to what we're trying to communicate in our one things process and physicality? Because see, but I have to stop and underscore this because I've taught you so long and I, I came to this conclusion as I was doing this study that I've taught you for so long that fellowship is not chips and salsa. I mean, the mo- I've taught you that so many times that every time I mention the word fellowship, I just see mouths going, it's not chips and salsa. All across the plate. We know just because you got food doesn't mean you're having fellowship. But actually, if we take this passage of Scripture seriously, it means that in a very real sense, fellowship is chips and salsa. Can I get a witness? Now, there's a principle under this, and the principle is that God has created your physical body with the capacity to enjoy food. That is, each and every one of us here is a natural-born culinary critic. You have the power to discern between that which is tasty and that which is nasty. That which is tasty. You eat at certain restaurants and say, how was that? It was all right. It was all right. It was all right. It was all right. Eat at another restaurant, you're like, y'all got to go there. You got it. It was an experience. Why? Because God put taste buds in your tongue for a reason. In all of our talk about moderation and about con- control and restraint and, and overcoming gluttony, let us not become culinary Pharisees that see the enjoyment of food as an evil. Let me tell you something. The enjoyment of food is not evil. God says, I want you to eat the fat. I want you to drink the sweet. But that's not what this passage is about. I just threw that out there for free. 
The point of the passage actually is seen in the last phrase, the last sentence. Send portions to those for whom nothing has been prepared. He says, enjoy choice food, drink sweet drink, and send portions to those for whom nothing has been prepared, and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Watch this. He moves them directly from repentance into fellowship. He moves them from bemoaning their weaknesses and crying about what they did wrong. Immediately, he says, go fellowship and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Go connect. Literally what he's saying is you can spend all your time crying about what went wrong, what you did wrong, how weak you are, how messed, how badly you messed it up, or you can get up off of, off of your butt and go fellowship with the body of Christ. Right now, in your, and don't see the people were crying thinking we need to get right before we can reconnect. And God says, no, go reconnect right now. You'll get right in the reconnection. The principle is fellowship. Now, I see food and drink in this passage as representing something deeper. Because each and every one of us has been fearfully and wonderfully made, uniquely gifted, and uniquely stupid. Every one of us. Everybody in this room. You got places in your life where you are brilliant, where you are like none other. And you got places in your life where you are a bumbling imbecile. You couldn't get it right if your life depended on it. You know, last Christmas, my wife and I went to go uh, sweater shopping at Banana Republic. We had six guys we needed to buy sweaters for. Sounds simple, right? And so we stood at the sweater table and we went, Dyrell, Joseph, Jerome, Mickey, Tyrone, whoever. I don't know no Tyrone, but... But then we threw in two extra sweaters for good luck because we didn't know which one Dyrell and Joseph would like better. So we threw in two extra ones, and my wife goes, okay, go on up there and pay. I said, but what about the two extra sweaters? She said, when you get up there, figure out which ones you want and then, you know, toss the other two aside and pay for those six. Simple, right? But for me, no, that wasn't simple. I'm walking up to the register. I'm scared to death because I'm completely confused, Right? <laughs> I get up to the register, and they're like, okay, what would you like? I'm like, um, Joseph, Darrell, who else? Uh, who else? Uh, Mick, 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 okay. Uh, and I'm looking, there's people behind me, and I'm like trying to figure out, forget it. We don't want any of it. Cancel the sale. And the guy's looking at me like, are you okay? I'm sitting there about to have a nervous breakdown because I can't figure out the sweaters. And my wife walks up, she smiles, and she goes, Joseph, Mickey, Daniel, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we'll take those. Throw those two out. They're done. What was so hard about that? <laughs> I walked out of there and smiled. I said, I've just stumbled upon an area of ignorance in my life that borders on stupidity. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You know how wonderfully made I am? I'll have two different conversations with two different people within 10 minutes of each other, and I'll say the opposite thing to both and not even realize it. I'm serious. It happened just this last week. Heidi goes, where do you want to have the meeting? I said, have it right here. And then my wife said, like an hour later, where do you want to have the meeting? I said, at our house. 
And both of them sent the email at the same time. My wife said, why'd you tell Heidi you want the meeting here? If you told me, I said, I didn't say that to Heidi. And this man of God was sitting right. He said, I was sitting in the room when you said it to her. I was sitting right there. I heard you say it. I said, for real? I don't even remember that. I have no memory. And my wife said, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with your memory? You got the worst. But then, but then she'll say, where is that scripture where it says, you know, about Abraham? Oh, you mean Abraham by faith, you know, uh, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 yeah, I'm real strong in that, right? You mean against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's funny. I can remember all of that stuff, but I can't remember what I said to Dyrell yesterday. I've got the best memory of anybody you've ever known and the worst memory of anybody you've ever known at the same time. Why? I've got a strength and I got a weakness. And you know what? I can rejoice in both. Because you need to understand that your individual weaknesses are manifestations of God's gift of fellowship to the body of Christ. You need to tweet that right now. Your individual weaknesses are manifestations of the gift of fellowship in the body of Christ. When God wants to give us the gift of fellowship, he gives us individual weaknesses and then places a corresponding strength in someone else in the body. And so fellowship happens when you go hunting for the strength that corresponds to your weakness. When you come to your senses and recognize the answer to this weakness of mine is in the body. It's in the house. I recognize I'm weak here, but it's okay because that that weakness is not ultimate. God has put the answer to it in someone else in this house, and by God, I'm going to find him. The thing we need to understand about fellowship is that fellowship is not the mutual display of kindred strength. Fellowship is not the mutual display of kindred strength. See, so often fellowship looks like this. Hey, check that out, huh? Look at that, huh? Look at that, huh? That's good. And then she goes, oh, yeah? Well, look at this. Look at this, huh? Look at that. Oh, yeah? Well, look at this. Look at that. Watch this. Oh, yeah? Well, watch this. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? That's what fellowship so often looks like in the body of Christ. You show me yours, I'll show you mine, and we'll have a little contest. You know what I can't stand? When ignorant people say, I know. You didn't know that. You don't know nothing. What do you mean you know? I was doing premarital counseling with the ignorant couple one time. Nobody here. Nobody here. Nobody you even know. Nobody you even know. But the whole session, the wife kept saying, I know. Yeah, we know that. Oh, yeah, we know that. I'm talking about dynamics of anxiety and, and you know, uh, uh, you know, five to one ratio of positive to negative interactions, stuff that they never heard of. They, they, they didn't know nothing. They, they didn't even understand the word anxiety. Oh, yeah, we know that. We know that. She kept saying the whole time. And I'm like, okay. And the thing you need to understand is that when your heart rate exceeds 96 beats per minute, your cerebral cortex shuts down. You're now incapable of empathy. Yeah, we knew that. We knew that. Finally, I said, really, you knew that? Yeah, yeah, we knew that. Good. Explain it to me. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
She said, well, it's just like you said. Yeah, what did I say? What did I say? Well, you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you stop saying I know and listen. You know what I know is oftentimes? It's I don't want to look like I'm at a lower level than you. So let me pretend that I'm equal to you in everything, at every level. Never stopping to realize that if I'm weak at a place where you're strong, we finally have an opportunity for fellowship. But if I keep pretending to be strong in the places you're strong, I'm cutting myself off from the possibility of having fellowship with you. When you say something I don't know, I should just stop and say, wow, I didn't know that. Dude, that was awesome. Say that again. Say that again. And you know what? Even if they're speaking in an area that where you are strong, they've got something to contribute to your strength that you didn't know. Something you never heard before. Joseph and I were talking about judgment the other day, the day before yesterday, and we're walking and we're talking about judgment. And he said, yeah, you know, because the moment you sit at the, the moment you sit in the seat of judgment, you forfeit your seat at the table of fellowship. I was like, whoa, whoa, say that again. Say that again. He said, the moment you sit in the seat of judgment, you forfeit your seat at the table of fellowship. I was like, tweet that right now. I'm going to retweet it. That was good. And he tweeted it and I retweeted it. Can I get a witness? Why? Why did I retweet it? Because I wanted to honor the fact that he said something I had never heard before. It came out of him and it ministered to me. Can you do that with one another? Can you say, man, that's good. What you got is good. I don't have that. Because you know what? There's stuff I got that you don't have. And there's stuff you got that I've got. Fellowship is not the mutual expression of kindred strength. Fellowship is the reciprocal counterpoint of strength to weakness. Can I say that again? Fellowship is the reciprocal counterpoint of strength and weakness. This is what fellowship looks like. You bring out your strength and I bring out my weakness. You bring out your strength and you say, I'm strong here. And I go, wow, good, because I'm weak there. And then I bring out my strength and I go, well, I'm strong here. And you go, great, because I'm weak there. And if we're both vulnerable with both our strengths and our weaknesses, now we got fellowship. But have you ever tried to share something with somebody No. Have you ever felt like you wanted to share something with somebody, but you knew they wouldn't receive it? You know, I mean, talking to a friend or family member, somebody you love, and you're thinking to yourself, man, if only I could say this to him, it would change his life. If he would just hear me. But he ain't trying to hear that. You ever felt that way? Do you think maybe other people feel that about you? Here's how the saints do it. Saints will go, pray for me. Y'all just pray for me. Pray for me. Just pray for me. I'm struggling. Unspoken. Unspoken. Any prayer requests? Yeah, just pray for me. Unspoken. 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 Meaning, yeah, I got translation. I got a real need, but I ain't telling none of y'all. But when we got a praise report, hallelujah, I got to testify. We'll tell specifics of our strengths. But when it comes to our weaknesses, pray for me. And when I say pray for me, this is what I mean. Don't talk to me about it. Don't ask me about it. Don't speak nothing into it. Don't give me any of your wisdom. Just pray for me. Let me tell you something. There's some areas where you can pray until you're blue in the face and God is not doing nothing. Why? Because when he's already put the grace in the body of Christ for that problem, he's not dropping it again from heaven. Pray for me. Y'all pray for me. Some of us need more than prayer. 
We need somebody to come take us by the hand and say, here, come help me. Now, this is the thing. Your strengths are your, are your, sweet, are your choice food and your sweet drinks. And when we come together, there's some areas where I got some choice food and sweet drinks. And there's areas where I have nothing prepared. And there's areas where you've got some choice food and sweet drinks. Right? And you've got nothing prepared in other areas. And if we sit at the table and, and we both bring out our choice food and sweet drinks, and we're both vulnerable enough to say, wow, I'm so glad you brought that out there because I ain't got nothing there. I need that. God joins us strength to weakness. Weakness to strength. That's why love covers over a multitude of sins. Because God joins us strength to weakness. Weakness to strength. But we're so busy trying to fix our weaknesses in secret so that we can appear strong that we miss the grace flow that God has in the body of Christ for us. So how does this work with physical one things? You know what I love about the one things process? It's so exhaustive. You, you can't hide. Because some of y'all felt real good during the spiritual one. You know, first three months, June, July, August, we're talking about spirituality. You were like, yeah, amen. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Then we start talking physical. I ain't heard an amen from you in three months. And you know what? The physical one thing is the hardest one for me to preach. That's the most difficult. I, I, I want to skip it. Because I wasn't ready. Because can I just be real? You know, see, you think, you know, the preacher can only preach what he's good at. No, sometimes the preacher can preach what he's terrible at. What am I preaching? I'm up up here talking about physical one thing. And and a lot of y'all are sitting out there thinking, he doesn't look the way he looked three months ago. (laughs) Drank all that juice. (laughs) Lost all that weight. And it must have just hid under his car seat and carjacked him one day. This is my weakness. But wait till we get to finances, though. Oh, I got some good stuff for you in that one. Let's go. Wait till we get to fellowship. Mm. When we get to the vocational one thing, I'm going to give all of you a a business idea that's going to change your life. But physicality, I wish I could skip that one because I wasn't ready. Now, I can say I've been doing one thing. See this Fitbit? It keeps track of all my steps. Cost me $100. I wear it every day. And what does it do? It keeps track of my steps. When I first got it, I was walking six to 7,000 steps a day. And I set a 10,000 step. Uh, that was my goal, 10,000 steps. I am up to 15,000 steps a day now. Amen. It's something. It's something. It's one thing. I go for one hour brisk walks every day. I'm out there walking and I'm, you know, and I'm, especially when I'm worshiping and I'm moving like this, you know, and you feel it buzz. Bzz, yeah, you just hit your goal. <laughs> you know, that's one thing. I've doubled my steps. I've doubled my steps on a daily basis. That's one thing. I'm going to get back to the other things. I need some help on the food thing, church. 
Because Nehemiah and Ezra only told him to eat the fat and, and drink the sweet one day. <laughs> I need some help on that area, but let me tell you something. If you're strong in this area and maybe you haven't met your weak point yet, I guarantee it's coming. One of these eight things is going to catch you off guard. And if you're looking around judging folks who aren't doing so well, see, let me define judgment for you. Judgment is any time you arrive at a negative assessment of someone that you're not willing to lift a finger to help. That's judgment. You can look at somebody and say, look at that slovenly wretch of a pastor. As long, well, maybe not like that. But if the next thing out of your, out of your mouth is, I'm going to go help him right now. And how do you help? By talking? You know what you need to do? No. You need to go take somebody by the hand after this service is over. If you're strong in this area, you need to take somebody by the hand after this service is over and say, let's go shopping. We're going to the grocery store right now. You know what we're going to do? We're going to buy your food for the whole week. And then we're going to your house, and we're going to cook all of your meals for the week. We're going to wrap them up. All you got to do is pull them out, stick them in the microwave, and eat it. We're going, and I'm going to hold you accountable every day. Yeah. I'm going to call you every day. Yeah. And you know what? If somebody takes you by the hand and says that, you've got to be humble enough to accept it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't just say, oh, no, pray for me. <laughs> just pray for me. Just pray for me. Pray for me. Yeah. See, the thing is, if we only do this thing as individuals, we're missing the point of the one thing's process. You know, I read, I read a story recently about a basketball team that lost, and, and uh, uh, the, one, the father of one of the players was talking to the guys and said, how are you guys doing? Are you guys okay? And one of the players said, well, you know what? Actually, I'm doing good. He said, really? He said, yeah, you know, the team lost, but I didn't lose. He said, what do you mean you didn't lose? He said, I scored 27 points. I got six rebounds. You know, I think I won. He said, do me a favor. Look up on that scoreboard up there. And he looked up. He said, uh, which one of those numbers has your name next to it? He goes, my name's not next to either. He said, whose names are there? The names of our teams. Oh, so you don't play as an individual. You only play as a team. Let me tell you something. If your team lost, you lost. And if your team won, you won. As long as we're doing this thing as individuals and our team is losing, we ain't doing nothing. Because if you're only doing it as an individual, you will find that you will be strong in the places where you're strong and you'll be weak in the places where you're weak. But if in your strong point you take somebody by the hand and walk them to victory, then when you're weak, they're going to come take you by the hand and walk you to victory. Go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. And send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. Don't judge those for whom nothing's prepared. Send portions to them. You know, it's interesting. I was looking at John chapter four this week where Jesus meets with the woman at the well. And you know what he basically does with that woman at the well? He exposes every sin she ever committed. I mean, tells her all about herself. He says, okay, so let's see. You've had five husbands and five divorces. And now you're shacking up with a loser who won't even give you his name. Is that about right? And when that situation was over, she runs off into the city and she says, come meet a man 
who told me everything I ever did. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait. Translation. Come meet this guy. He told me all of my sins. Exposed all of them. Come on, let him expose your sin too. Come on. (laughs) He's going to look you in the face and he's going to say, I know what you did last summer. And I know what you did the summer before that. It's awesome. He starts telling you your sins. It's she walked away from an encounter with the Lord where he exposed all of her sin. And she felt so loved in that encounter that she tried to bring other people into it. What does that say about Jesus? About the way he's able to come, even when he speaks the truth, he speaks it with so much love that people walk away from the encounter and say, you got to come see this guy. Man, he will slap you upside the head, tell you you got no faith. He'll throw his hands up and say, how long will I be with you? He'll say, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees. He'll call you a hypocrite. You know, I mean, he'll do all, and it's awesome. Let me tell you something. When you point something out in somebody's life, do they walk away feeling judged or loved? See, I've I've often heard people say, the one who loves you is the one who tells you the truth. Not necessarily, because sometimes the devil will tell you the truth. When you've messed up, the devil will be the first one to tell you. But the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. See, the thing we don't recognize is that when the scripture says the accuser of the brethren is cast down, it doesn't mean that what he's accusing you of is false. He don't need to accuse you of anything false. You already got enough stuff in your life for him to accuse you of that's right. The devil doesn't waste his time bringing false accusations against you. He looks at the stuff in your life that you got and that you know you got. So when he says, that's why he was able to stand before the angel of the Lord in Zechariah 3 and bring an accusation against Joshua. And Joshua was covered in filthy robes. And that word filth, it means it's, it refers to both excrement and to use menstrual cloth. That bro was filthy. You didn't want to stand in that, brothers, means he was covered in sin. And Satan was there to accuse him of stuff that he did. And the angel said, the Lord rebukes you, Satan. The Lord, re- the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This is a stick that has been plucked out of the fire. Yes, he was in the fire, but the Lord just plucked him out. And so oftentimes, calling ourselves speaking the truth, we've joined our voices in accusation with the accuser of the brethren. Say, but it's true. The one who loves you tells you the truth. No, the one who loves you speaks the truth to you in love. It's speaking the truth in love that causes us to grow up in all things into him who is the head. And so we need one another. All right. Um, I'm going to finish this. So. We need one another. So I thank God for my weaknesses. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Glorying in my weaknesses. I thank God for my weaknesses. You know why? Because my weaknesses do two things for me. Number one, they keep me dependent upon God. I mean, every time I mess up, I am thrust back to the throne of God. Say, whew, man, God, I I still need you. (laughs) You know, like, go figure. (laughs) I still need, I'm desperate for you still. I haven't lost my desperation for you. And so I thank God that he allows me to mess up because it drives me back to my knees in utter dependence upon him. But the second thing my weaknesses do is they remind me of my interdependence with the body of Christ. The thing we need to realize is that we are dependent upon God, but we are interdependent upon one another. What does that mean? We are dependent upon God because we need him, but he don't need us. 
Thank God he wants us because he sure don't need us. But we are interdependent upon one another because it means I need you and you need me. At the place of my strength, I discover the place where you need me. At the place of my weakness, I am confronted with the place where I need you. Fellowship means that you're going to have some choice food that I'm not going to have. And I'm going to have some sweet drinks that you're not going to have. And it means that we must be public both about our strengths and our weaknesses. It's easy for us to be public about our strengths, but it's not so easy to be public about our weaknesses. So Ezra and Nehemiah say, don't cry. Go eat some good food and drink some sweet drink. They're weeping because they realized that things were out of order in their midst. They realized that they hadn't done things right, but the priest said, don't cry. Go fellowship. Stop crying about the stuff that you're weak in. Go fellowship. With this one thing's process, many of us feel ashamed. Honestly, sometimes I feel ashamed when I step on the scale and not a pound has decreased. I feel ashamed when, you know, I eat stuff that I know I shouldn't be eating. I feel ashamed. I feel bad about myself. But the word of the Lord is stop crying. Go out there and sit down with some folks in the body of Christ who are strong in this area. And say, I'm submitting my strength to you. I'm, my weakness to you. Yeah. I'm submitting to you in my weakness. Help me out of this thing. Yeah. You know, it's so easy for us to receive Jesus Christ. So easy for us to believe God so loved the world. But what we don't realize is that God wants us first and foremost to receive Jesus Christ and be saved. But secondly, to receive the body of Christ. Jesus said the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, some of us had an emotional come to Jesus moment. When we received Christ as our Lord and Savior, we had an emotional come to Jesus moment. Some of us in this place need the same kind of encounter with the body of Christ. You need a come to church moment. And I'm not talking about come to church as a building. I'm talking about coming to the people of God. I'm not talking about just attending services because there's a lot of folks who attend service but have never joined the fellowship. Attend service but have never submitted their lives. Attend service and you can tell the people that have submitted their lives to the body of Christ and those who haven't because as soon as something goes wrong, I don't want to be seen. As soon as I mess up, I disappear. As soon as one of my weaknesses is exposed, I can't show up anymore. And a lot of times people use the excuse, they say, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. In retreating from the body of Christ because you messed up, you have become a hypocrite. Showing up to church when you're messed up doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you real. But only coming when things are well, that's hypocrisy. Putting on a happy face and coming in and acting like you got it all together when your life's falling apart, that's hypocrisy. People say, I don't want to be like those hypocrites in the church who still have problems, even though they claim to be Christian. Let me tell you something. (laughs) Your only hope is to become one of them hypocrites. See, Christianity is not about not having any weaknesses. It's about being willing to share with one another. Being willing to receive the grace that comes only through the body of Christ. Many of you here in this place have 
come to Jesus, but you have not come to the body of Christ. You believed in Jesus, but you've rejected the grace that flows only through the body of Christ. You refuse to be a member. I'm not talking about having your name on a membership list. There's folks who have their names on membership lists, but they, they refuse to be members. In Ephesians chapter 5, 15 and 16, Paul talks about the, the body rooted and established in love, growing because of what every joint supplies. When we learn to be members of one another, there's a supply that flows from one member to another. It means, and you know, one of the greatest problems in the body of Christ today is burnout. Here folks say, I'm so burnt out, i got to step down from ministry. And you know, half the folks that are burnt out weren't doing nothing. <laughs> Blows me away. Pastor, I'm burnt out. I need a rest from ministry. What were you doing? I was doing overhead a couple times a month. I'm burnt out. Burnt out from setting up chairs once a month. We're doing nothing. How are you burnt out? You know why? You could be doing the smallest thing in the house. Whatever you're doing is significant. The smallest thing you're doing, you're giving out of your strength to the body. But if you don't open your heart to receive the strength of the body, you're giving but not receiving. You're going to get burnt out. But if you open your heart up to the body of Christ, that in the midst of your service, in the midst of your giving, your heart is open to the people around you, and your attitude is, I need to receive from you. Every person you rub up against, I need to receive from you, and I need to share with you. I'm going to bring out my, my choice food and my sweet drink, and I hope you bring out yours, because I need to receive. It's time to come to the body of Christ. Some things God will never give you in your prayer closet. So many things that many of us think we can figure out on our own. And we forget that God puts the grace in the body of Christ. Fellowship is not a non-essential. Fellowship is an essential. And today the Spirit of God is crying out for us to embrace the body of Christ the way we embrace Jesus Christ himself. I'm not talking about worshiping the body of Christ. But Jesus said the second one is like it. Loving God and loving neighbor, he said they're like each other. They're close to the same level. Matter of fact, John said, you cannot say you love God whom you cannot see if you can't love your brother whom you can see. Fully embracing our participation in one another. You cannot embrace Christ and reject his bride at the same time. Today, God is calling you to come into the fellowship. This is not about just this local body. Some of you are from other churches and you're visiting. I'm telling you, go back to your church and come into the fellowship there. Some of you are visiting from out of town. Go back home to your church and come into the fellowship there. It's a fellowship of believers in the body of Christ. Some of you, this is your home, but you've never come into the fellowship. It's time to come into the fellowship. It's time to come to that place of interdependence with the body and say, I'm ready now. I'm ready to reach past my insecurities. I'm ready both to share and to receive. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I just speak your blessing over this house today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours, uniquely strong, uniquely weak, each one. And that's your design. 
So many of us feel ashamed about our weaknesses. Think if only I could get over that. And there are some areas that we just got to get over. But there are other areas that are going to be with us for the rest of our life. And it's your gift. It's not a thorn in the flesh. It's a gift of fellowship. So, Father, I just speak blessing over this house, over each and every heart, over each and every mind. And I thank you this word is settling in and it's going to bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen. And so, you know what? Now we have a chance to respond to the word of God. And a lot of times when it's about worship, when it's about our relationship with God, we would open the altar and say, come. Make it right. But when it's about fellowship, it's not to the altar. It has to be with one another. You know, as you know, our brothers and sisters in Philippines, you know what? Right now their weakness is exposed. So many of them. I heard hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced. They don't have a home to go to. And so you know what? We could all go down to sliver right now. You could eat pizza. And you could fellowship with one another. And you know, don't, don't sit next to somebody you usually sit with. You know, sit with somebody that's familiar. You know they're from our church, but you don't know, right? Sit with them. Get to know them. Those of you especially, if you have not plugged in, please come, right? And we get to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in the Philippines. And we get to fellowship with one another. All proceeds go to our brothers and sisters in Philippines. So can we do this? Can we do that? And not only today, but throughout this week, Facebook somebody, call somebody, text somebody, email somebody that you have not um, entered into a deeper relationship with here in this church. So you know what our altar is? It's with one another. So go. Eat something fat. Drink something sweet. Go ahead.